Take out your Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, I'll join you there and we'll read from God's Word together this morning. Luke chapter 1, I'm excited about today. We're embarking on a new series for the next number of weeks. We're going to go week by week through the Gospel of Luke. And we're excited to begin this because a number of months ago, God impressed on my heart to really lead us through a time in a gospel. I um, went back in my notes. The last time I preached from the entire gospel, or through an entire gospel, I should say, was late 2018, uh, and it took us a year and a half to get through the gospel of Mark on Wednesday nights. And this time, um, but I know many of you don't attend Wednesday nights for whatever reason. You should. I hope you'd come. And uh, you'd be really blessed if you did. But on Wednesday nights, we went through a gospel. Now, here's the thing. A gospel is really the crux of the Bible. Uh, If you think about the way that the scriptures are arranged, so much of the Old Testament is foreshadowing leading up to Christ. And the New Testament is expounding and explaining and teaching from the teachings of Christ. But the Gospels really form the crux of, of really the grand story of Scripture. And so we're going to begin this new series, probably be the longest series I've ever done year to date. Those of you that were complaining that Nehemiah was long or in Titus with eight weeks through Titus, just buckle up for the Gospel of Luke. We're calling it the story of salvation, the story of salvation. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, let me just tell you a little bit about who Luke is. Luke is writing this gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, we're told that Luke is a physician. He's not a pastor. He's not an apostle. He's a medical doctor. He's a really well-educated individual. Given his role in, in the ancient world, we would understand that Luke would have been very well educated. He was a longtime friend, frequent traveler, and ministry companion of the Apostle Paul. And we know that from the Bible that Luke accompanied Paul on at least two, probably three missionary journeys. Uh, He's referred to in scripture as a fellow worker, a fellow worker, literally a fellow laborer. Can I tell you what a beautiful title that is? Out of all the things that could be said about an individual that the scriptures would say that that for Luke to be known as a fellow worker, a fellow laborer. This past week, myself, along with a couple from our missions team, met up for dinner uh, here locally with one of our indigenous missions partners who's uh, serving Christ in Southeast Asia and Asia. And as we were together over dinner and as he was just sharing from his experiences and from his life and and all that God is doing in that region of the world, I, I, I just walked away from dinner feeling like I had dinner with a modern day Apostle Paul. And he said to us over dinner, he made this statement. He said, he said, I hate titles. I hate titles. And yet, if, you're, if you know anything of the Western world, we're obsessed with them. And yet he says, you know, when, when, you, when you talk to somebody and they're just like, reverend this, pastor this, doctor this, he's like, come on now, do we call Jesus Dr. Jesus? No, of course not. We just call him Jesus. But there is one title, he said, that should mark every one of us as followers of Jesus. 
And that is, if you are now in Christ, there is a title that, that Jesus himself gives you, and that is one of laborer. Laborer. Are you a laborer in God's field? Are you a fellow worker in God's building? Can I ask you a personal question this morning? If you look right up here, can I just ask you this personally? If you had to answer it honestly this morning, would you say that right now in your life, you're laboring for the master? You're laboring for the master. You know, there's a lot of people I run into in Christianity that are content to live in the master's house, but they don't want to labor in the master's vineyard. And Jesus tells us that he sent out his disciples and he sent them out as laborers into a vineyard. Can I ask you, who are you laboring with this year? Who are you working with? Who are you endeavoring to reach with the gospel? Who is the person that God has had on your heart this whole year that you've been ministering, serving, getting together with? All for the explicit purpose of, of sharing the gospel with them, to, to, to lead them in a discipleship relationship, to lead them to Christ and disciple them in their faith. Do you have one? Do you have one? I was so struck as we had dinner together with this brother and, and to hear what God is doing in other places around the world is things that certainly could happen right here in Catawba, Virginia. Uh, they, they went and, and their missions trainings, like they doubled, almost tripled. And some of their discipleship groups that are happening in that area of the world, they talk about discipleship relationships in a generation. So, so if I were to disciple someone, that's one generation. And that person to disciple another person, that's a second generation. There's places right now in Southeast Asia within the last two and a half years that have gone through six generations of disciple making. Six generations. And I think about the church in the, the West and I think about how much we know truth, but we're not passing that truth on to someone else. We're stopped up ponds, just growing algae. <laughs> and people in their Christian life are so stagnant because they're not doing what Jesus Christ has commanded. They're not making disciples of all nations. We're driving the car together, and he's just talking to me about the church. He said, hey, so how big is Catawba? I was like, oh, you know, we're running about 100, 120 on a Sunday right now. He says, so, you know, next year you'll be running 240. Why? Because one person reaching one person, just, just one person. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, and some of us can't even have one. But discipleship is, is our life. A disciple making is what Jesus did. It's, it's what he calls us to do. We're to be laborers in his vineyard. And that is the great commission. It's the commission that every one of us as a follower of Jesus has been given. And one day we will stand before Christ and we will give an account for what you did with your life and how you chose to invest it. And I think there's a lot of us in the West, particularly, that somehow think, because of the affluence of America, by somehow thinking of like, the, the affluence of buildings and, and budgets, that somehow we're being faithful to the message, when in fact, when we stand before Christ on Judgment Day and we have no one else to be there with us. It's a really hard-hitting reality to realize that, 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 that God calls us to be disciple-makers. And so it's so exciting to me to turn to a gospel today because there are so many people that we, what, that we, that we even in the church, that have such a distorted view of Jesus Christ. You know, A.W. Tozer said, what, a man, what comes into a man's mind when he thinks about God is the most important thing about him. But, but for many of us, we have such a distorted view of Jesus Christ. We, we don't really know who he is. And when we, when we open up our Bibles and we peer in the Gospels, we begin to see who Jesus really is like. 
He had, he had no patience for, for, for religious hypocrites. But Jesus had such compassion for, for people who were sinners, for people who were on the fringes of society. And so, so we've opened up our Bibles this morning to a laborer, somebody who has been a faithful laborer for many years for Jesus Christ, and that is Luke. He was a faithful, committed follower of Jesus Christ. You know what? As you read the Gospel of Luke and then read his second volume, the book of Acts, what you discover is that never once in either one of those documents does he mention his name. Yet, the Christian tradition unanimously subscribes the authorship of the book to him. He was a very humble man. He's a very humble man. And yet, here he is, and he wrote what really accounts between the Gospel of Luke, because it's the largest gospel, and the book of Acts, which is the history of the church. Those two books alone account for nearly a third of the New Testament. But yet, as you read the gospel, if you read Luke's gospel, all 24 chapters, if you read all 28 chapters of the book of Acts, you'll never find his name mentioned. But he's a humble writer. He's a faithful laborer. Isn't that good to know? Because for some of us, what it means to be a faithful laborer of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you have to be well-known, well-recognized. Some of us can be so faithful to disciple people. Some of us can be so faithful to serve and love people behind the scenes. And there's just such a genuine authenticity about that. And here is Luke. He is the only known Gentile writer of Scripture. And, and he's going to give us an introduction and so this morning, we're simply just getting an introduction to this tremendous gospel that he has wrote for us. Would you stand with me? We're going to read chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through verse 4. It's four sentences, uh, it's four verses in English, but it's one sentence. It's just an introduction. Even before he begins the story, he, he gives you kind of this introduction of his book. Listen to what he says. He says, inasmuch as there have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have, what's the next word? Say it louder that you may have what? Certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this morning as we've opened up your word, we recognize that when your word is open, that your voice is heard. And we pray this morning that you would be our teacher. We pray that your spirit, God, would teach us, Lord, what it is we need to hear. We pray that the truth of it would pierce deep into our heart, that, Lord, we would, that we would be changed, we would be transformed by your power this morning. God, human words and human expression, and Lord, those things don't change people. It's the power of God. It's your spirit at work in our hearts. And so we pray that your spirit, Lord, would just change us today, grow us today, help us see, Lord, what it is we need to see so that we would be able to obey it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. You can be seated. Well, we've already, this morning, if you're wanting to have an outline, we're just going to ask some general questions to kind of get an understanding of this book. We've already asked the first one, and that is, who, Luke, who is Luke? But secondly, let's ask the second question and ask, what is he writing? What is he writing? It is the what? What does it say in the heading of your Bible? It's a what? 
What is he writing? Say it louder. He's writing a gospel. It's a gospel. Now, this is not the only gospel in our Bibles. In fact, there are four gospels in your Bible. If you know them, say them with me. Here we go. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of those are a genre of what we call a gospel. And Luke's gospel is by far the longest. In fact, many believe the gospel of Luke is one of the most scholarly works in the entire New Testament. And, and you say, well, when was it written? Well, many Bible scholars believe that Luke's gospel was, was written somewhere around A.D. 62 to A.D. 65. And, and, I, and if you are new to church this morning and you're like, where are we, where are we reading from? Can I just kind of zoom out a minute in your Bible to give you an understanding of where we find ourselves as we're embarking on this new series? You see, we want to get an understanding of where we are in the story and the Bible is one big volume, one great story of 66 separate books. And of those 66 separate books, it's divided into two things, an Old Testament and a New Testament. And so the Old Testament is everything from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Malachi. It tells us everything about creation all the way leading up to the prophecies uh, foreshadowing Christ. That's the Old Testament. But now we've turned in our Bibles to a New Testament. And the New Testament is everything from the incarnation of Christ forward to where you and I are today. And these first four books in the New Testament are what are called Gospels. Gospels. It's a specific genre of Scripture, and these Gospels are doing some specific things. They're giving insight into Jesus' life and ministry. So sometimes when people think about the Gospels, they think about them like biographies. However, Luke is not writing a biography. In fact, if you read the Gospel of Luke, you find that he mentions nothing about the physical appearance of Jesus. As you read the Gospel of Luke, he tells us nothing about Jesus' education. He tells us actually only a few details from his early childhood. Everything in the Gospels begins, by and large, uh, at Jesus' public ministry. And they begin, uh, when, when Jesus begins to enter into that time of public ministry from his baptism forward. And so some of the gospels talk about his early years, but most of them, if, if you read a gospel, what you're discovering is that most of it is, is, is only 18 months to maybe three years of the life of Jesus. And, and actually the majority of the gospels are only a few weeks prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so a gospel is, a, is, a, is not a biography, it's not a memoir, it's something very specific. A gospel, if you're, if, you're, if you're taking notes, jot this down, here's what a gospel is. A gospel is persuasive recorded history based on eyewitness testimony. It's persuasive recorded history based on eyewitness testimony. Each one of these gospel writers had had, had firsthand source information, eyewitness testimony that they wrote down in a way that, that is to move the reader to do something. The word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. Can you say that with me? Euangelion. It just means gospel. It means good news. And so all four of these biblical writers are writing the good news. They're writing about the good news. They're writing about what Jesus Christ has done. They're writing, they're writing about his life, his, his works, his teaching, his miracle. They're writing about his death, burial, and resurrection. They're writing about Jesus Christ. But the gospels are not only about Jesus. 
In fact, if you read the Gospels, what you discover is that they're communicating to us more than simply the life of Christ. They're communicating to us more than simply the story of Jesus. They're giving us the story of redemption. They're giving us the story of salvation. They're, they're, they're talking about not just Jesus and what Jesus did, but they're talking about the significance of what Jesus did and how that matters for every one of us. How it matters for you. And so as they are writing these gospels, they're, they're, they're writing with these moving stories from the life of Christ, but they're leading you to make a response. They're giving you the greatest story that was ever told about how people like you and I People like you and I, broken, sinful people, can be made right with the holy God. The Gospels tell us how our sins can be forgiven. They talk about how we can have a relationship with Christ. And so Jesus is the main character in the Gospels, certainly, but the emphasis in the Gospels are on salvation. That people would believe in who Jesus is and believe in what Jesus did, and that their belief in Christ would change their life forever. It's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19. If we have that verse, put it up. For the Son of Man, that is Jesus, Luke's given us the great purpose of his book, for the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save that which is lost. And here in this passage, Jesus is kind of unveiling for us kind of these three reasons to why he came. Jesus came. He, he humbled himself. He became, he became man. He took upon humanity. Why? So that he might seek people. And the Gospel of Luke is all about instances and stories of, of who Jesus went to seek after. The Bible says no man comes unto the Father but unless the Spirit of God draws them. And so here's Jesus, the Savior, seeking after people. And as you read to the Gospel of Luke, you'll find it time and time again. Jesus comes to people who are outcast in society, people who are some of the low of the low, and yet Jesus comes comes and he ministers to them and he seeks them out for what purpose so that he might save the lost you see this is the gospel this is why Jesus came this is this is what should grip the heart of every Christ follower that we understand that 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 that, that Jesus Christ has come to bring us salvation it's the story of salvation it's what the church of Jesus Christ should be filled with when people walk into Kitaba on a Sunday morning, they should walk away knowing the story of salvation. When they're around you and, and in your life and in your friendships and in your relationships, man, if you're a follower of Christ, that story of salvation, that, that marvelous grace of Jesus should just spill out. You shouldn't be able to contain it because it is such good news. And so here is Luke and his life had been gripped by the gospel. His heart had been so gripped by this glorious good news. And you say, how did that happen? Well, the Christian tradition tells us that Luke comes from this town called Antioch. And if you remember your Bible in Acts 13, there's a church plant that kind of happens accidentally there in Antioch. You can read about it. And there in the church are five prophets and teachers, among whom one is the Apostle Paul. And as I thought about it this week, as I was preparing for our series, I thought, wow, how amazing would it have been if in that church in Antioch, where Luke is here in that community, that, that what could have happened was maybe Paul himself 
led Luke to a knowledge of Christ and he leads him to embrace the gospel. Because from that moment, their relationship develops into one of a deep, long friendship. Because remember, a couple things about Luke. Luke is not an apostle. He's not an eyewitness of any of these stories. He's not an eyewitness. He's not an apostle. But secondly, he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. He didn't come to Christ more than likely until after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't until in the book of Acts where the gospel is going to the Gentile world that more than likely Luke comes to hear about the gospel for the first time. And so when you think about Luke, really who he is is at first glance he's a skeptic. He's somebody that doesn't know the full gospel. He's somebody who, who may have heard about Jesus, but he does not know Jesus. But somebody had to come along the way and unpack this greatest story ever told. And in faith and believing in what Christ's done, Luke is born again. And he developed this deep relationship with the Apostle Paul. And in fact, that's why I tend to believe it was Paul who led him to the Lord because he developed this close relationship that lasted through years. And he's a skeptic because he doesn't just take everything at face value. How, how many of you guys are, are, are like that? How, how many of you, you know, I, I won't ask who's the gullible ones, everybody, you know. But, but how, how many of you, when someone says something, you're like, ah, really? Really? Can I see your hand? Come on, how many of you are like that? You're like, let me, I, I'm just not going to take, take it at face value. Like, probably more of us should be like that, especially in today's news cycles. Uh, most of us just believe what we hear. Luke wasn't like that. Luke wasn't like that. He was a doctor, remember? He, he wanted to investigate things. He wanted to examine things. He wanted to see if the claims of Christ were really true. So notice, look down in your Bibles at verse 1. Notice how he describes his introduction. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered to us. Luke's saying, I wasn't one of those, but some have. Here it is, verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So we see, who is Luke? Secondly, we see, what is he writing? He's writing the gospel. Thirdly, who is he writing to? Someone tell me, who's the name of the guy he's writing to? Theophilus. Now, there is some debate as to who Theophilus is. There are some people that because the word Theophilus means one beloved of God, they think that, that, that the book of Luke was written, this gospel was written to a group of people. But I don't believe that for a moment. In fact, if you, if, if you study the book of Acts, you discover that three times in the book of Acts, Luke uses that description, most excellent, every time he's talking about a high-ranking Roman official. And so what I believe is that Luke here is writing to somebody particular, somebody specific in the Roman government who happens to be intrigued by Christianity and, and Luke is now giving this gospel in a way to help them understand the truth of Christ. Uh, somehow Luke had begun a personal or at least professional relationship with this guy by the name of Theophilus and so he writes him personally. In fact, he, he compiles this entire book and he compiles this entire book for the purpose of reaching one person. 
Now, if that doesn't tell you something about the heart of Luke, he had heart for people. He cared for people. He would go to great lengths to, to examine all of these claims of Christianity, to put together an orderly account so that he could reach one person with the gospel. And Luke would say, yeah, it's totally worth it. He gave the gospel to this one man. And what do we discover about, what do we discover about all of this? Well, notice verse one. Luke says, some have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. What Luke's saying is, hey, there's already other books out there about this. Uh, you could go read the Gospel of Mark. You could go read the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, Jesus had many apostles and others who were sent out by him. Certainly some of them may have written down their memoirs of, of what they come to understand about Jesus. Certainly there was a lot of things that could have been in circulation. What Mark, Luke is saying is there's many, many sources circulating around the world, but notice verse two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So what is he saying? There's not only written accounts out there, but there are also still eyewitnesses. Remember, this is AD like 62, AD 65. Jesus would have died around AD 33, AD 36, somewhere in there. So we're talking about just maybe 30 years after Christ had died on the cross and certainly in that time there would still be eyewitnesses. And so what does Luke do? He says, well, I'm gonna go search them out and I'm gonna go put together this orderly account. Luke says, I'm gonna go back to some primary sources and you gotta remember something about Luke. Remember, he's a doctor. And so he cares about exactness. He cares about things being specific. He cares that things add up. And so what does he do? He says, yeah, I heard those stories in Mark's gospel. Did that really happen? So you know what he does? Gets on his trusted steed, <laughs> travels out to find that guy. And he says, hey, you're the demoniac that Jesus healed that day. Here's what I heard. And the guy confirms it probably traveled to go find Mary, the mother of Jesus. Hey, I, I heard in Matthew's gospel, but, 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 but you tell me. And she confirms it. And he goes one by one. Certainly, he says in verse four, uh, notice, notice in verse three, he says he puts together this orderly account. He puts together this orderly account. It's not chronological. The, the, the gospel of Luke is not chronological, but it's, it's orderly. It, it's logical. And what is he doing? He's investigating these first century sources. He's going and, and, and finding out this orderly account so that he could present it to this Roman official by the name of Theophilus. He investigates everything. More than likely, he went to the centurion whose servant was raised from the dead. He goes to the 70 disciples who were sent out by Christ and to tell their story of, of what they had experienced. He goes and finds Zacchaeus. This is what I heard. Tell me. And, and in every one of these instances, people are confirming these eyewitness accounts. You see, there's a lot of people today that are skeptical about the claims of Christ. There are a lot of people today that, that do not understand the, 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 the evidence and the work and the time that went into some of these early manuscripts like the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke and, 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 and firsthand 
source material, eyewitnesses. Because here's the thing, when these things were published and put out into circulation, it wasn't like it was 300 years later and someone's like, well, I hope he was right. We're not really sure. No, they could go straight to Zacchaeus and say, this is what this says. Is this true? Now, here's what this means for all of us. You say, okay, well, who is Luke? We learned that. What is he writing? A gospel. Thirdly, who is he writing to? He's writing to Theophilus. But number four, why did he write it? Why did he write it? You'll find the answer to that in verse four. That, here's the reason, that you may have, what's the next word? Say it louder, that you may have what? Certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And who is he writing to? Theophilus. He says, I want you to really know the truth because I know right now you don't have the truth. I mean, do you see what he's really saying? He's writing a letter to somebody in the high-ranking Roman government and he says, based off our conversations of what you and I have had together, what you're believing right now is wrong. But I know the truth and I want you to know the truth as well. And I care so much that you have the real truth of who Jesus is and what he's done that I've taken all of this time to put together this orderly account so that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. You see, the word certain means reliable. It means precise. It means exact. Luke's saying these recorded events in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I have presented them in a way that is reliable, that is precise, that is exact. And Luke clearly presents the gospel. He, he presents the good news to Theophilus. And, he, and by nature today, you and I are opening up God's word and we're reading this gospel and it's his gospel for us. You and I today have the good news. And, 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 and Luke, as we are gonna embark on this great journey the next number of weeks, are going to discover that he presents Jesus in a specific way. All the Gospels present Jesus in their own unique perspective. Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Mark portrays Jesus as a servant. But Luke, Luke portrays Jesus from a very unique perspective. He talks about Jesus as the son of man. He gives us this beautiful portrait of Jesus as a compassionate savior. You know, there are many people today in our world who are turned off to the needs of the poor, that are turned off to the needy. And what Luke does is he gives us this gospel to show us that Jesus has compassion for all people. Jesus has compassion for all people, all nations, regardless of where they find themselves in life. For instance, you can see how Jesus does this. He said in Luke chapter 10, he, he says to his disciples as he sends them out to go take the kingdom of God into other towns, Jesus says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I love reading the gospels because when you read the gospels, you find that Jesus interacts with individuals on the fringe of society. He talks to prodigals. He talks to Samaritans. He comes to women and children who in that day are despised. They're lower class in society and Jesus speaks to them. Jesus speaks to tax collectors, to religious hypocrites. 
He talks to sinners. He talks to the people that you and I would say are the social outcasts. You say, Pastor, this is all good and everything this morning, but what does all this mean for me? Look right up here. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you really believe that he loves you? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know he loves you regardless of what you've done or where you've been? Man, this is the story of salvation. The story of salvation is that a king of glory would come and humble himself in human flesh. The story of salvation is that his ministry, that in his earthly ministry, he would seek out sinners and tax collectors. The story of salvation is that he has deep compassion for the needs of others. The story of salvation is that for 33 years, Jesus lived with such hostility against himself to the point that he goes to a cruel Roman cross bearing your sin and mine. And he rises victoriously and he ascends to the Father. You see, the story of salvation is, yes, in what Jesus has done for us, but in that he has come to bring us salvation and that our lives should be changed. He's come to bring us the good news. And in receiving that good news, in every one of those instances, you read the Gospels and you find these people that their lives were so pulled away from the, from the real center of society. They were social outcasts. And yet Jesus meets them with deep love and deep compassion. People that religious people would pass off. People that pious religious people would despise. No, Jesus seeks out those people and he loves those people and he gives them his gospel. And he heals them physically and spiritually. And almost every instance in the Gospels, you can read that the person runs away, not from Jesus, but to go tell others. It's like, this, it's like the Samaritan woman. Come see a man that's told me all I have ever done. It's the demoniac. It's, it's all of them. They all have a story a story of salvation, a story of how Jesus changed their life and it so grips them with this new message. And here's the reality, my friend. This is where you are today. That if you have come to embrace the gospel as the good news of Jesus Christ for sinful people to be made right with a holy God, then today you can know what it means to have your sins forgiven. Today you can experience this story of salvation in your own life. But look at me right here this morning. It doesn't end when you come to Christ. You see, the story of salvation is one that God sends us out. He sends us out as his ministers to care and to serve and to love people in the way that he did. He calls us to be laborers in his vineyard. He calls us to, to reach all nations with the gospel. You say, why do we take the time to take the next Number of weeks to study a gospel. Can I tell you why? It's because it affects your life. It's going to change your faith. You're going to see, I pray, a fresh encounter of Jesus Christ like you've never seen before. And in seeing who Jesus is and having faith in his name, it'll, it'll change you to be different. So, this is the book of Luke. Get ready. Next year. Here we go.